Good morning, Radius. Excited today to start our series again as we re draw our attention to the gospel of Mark. We had been in there in the fall and took a break as we spent some time talking about the Holy Spirit being real in our lives. And and now we're going back to the reason why the Holy Spirit is real and why we have these real stories is because of the good news of Jesus Christ, which we find in the gospels. And we're making our way through the gospel of Mark. We're about seven and a half chapters in. And today we're gonna take a look at Mark chapter seven, verses 24 to 30, a great story. And as we read it here in a moment, I don't know a lot about real estate, but I do know that they say there are three things you need to know when it comes to real estate. And those are location, location, location. Where, where you're located, that is the key to real estate. If it's a business, you wanna be on a thoroughfare with lots of traffic. If, if it's a home, you wanna be in the right school district. Uh, whatever it is, location is important. And today, I think location is gonna be incredibly important for us to understand this passage in Mark chapter seven. Let's take off reading. It says this in verse 24. He, Jesus, got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, but he could not escape notice. Instead, immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to drive the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, allow the children to be satisfied first because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she went back to her home, she found her child lying on the bed and the demon was gone. A lot of casting out of demons in the gospel of Mark. And this one here is fantastic. Got this woman who comes to Jesus in this foreign land and asks for her daughter to be saved from this demon. A couple of things I told you, it's all about location as we try to understand the passage. And in verse 24, as the story starts, it tells us about where Jesus is headed, to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, that's important because for us, those are just names of cities. But for the first century Jew, they would have known these places as cities of enormous wealth. They would have been places that were fortified. They would have been great cities that were strong and would have been very difficult to destroy. Matter of fact, shocking even to say that Tyre could have been destroyed by some other king or some other nation. You see, when we think about this, we're thinking about Jesus is being approached by a woman from this region, and this woman comes from a place or a location of power. Let, let me show it to you in, in Zechariah chapter 9. Is, is the prophet Zechariah tells us just how wealthy and how powerful Tyre is. He says this in in these verses, verse three, says, Tyre has built herself a fortress and she has heaped up silver like dust and gold like the dirt of the streets. That's a lot of silver and a lot of gold. That's a lot of wealth. Clearly Tyre and Sidon have a ton of wealth and that gives them this power that they have. 
He says this in verse four, listen, the Lord will impoverish her and cast her wealth into the sea. She, she herself will be consumed by fire. And so the prophet is prophesying the fact that at some point Tyre will fall. And this would have been shocking to an ancient Near Eastern as they think, no, 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 there's no way these cities could fall due to their wealth and where they were positioned. Matter of fact, there are three chapters in Ezekiel given to Tyre, 26, 27, and 28. And, and when you think about these chapters, it, it would have been dumbfounding to think there's no way these cities could be destroyed. Let me explain it to you here in a minute, but you can see it in Ezekiel 26, verses 17. It says, they will lament for you, Tyre, how, uh, how you have perished, you city of renown, you who were populated from the seas, she who was powerful on the sea, she and all of her inhabitants inflicted their terror, just showing how powerful Tyre was that on the sea, on the coastline, inflicting terror, flexing its muscle. But then it says in verse 18, now the coastlands tremble on the day of your downfall. The islands and the sea are alarmed by your demise. So as you hear this, we know that Tyre's on the coastline. We have the Sea of Galilee and Jesus is moving north. And when he goes up there, Tyre's not just located on the coastline. It's actually built upon a rock right off the shore. It's completely surrounded by water. And that's the reason why the sea is mentioned because when you think about Tyre being built on this rock, an elevated rock and water all the way around it, the only way that it could be destroyed is if an army somehow crossed the water and got to the city. If you know your history, you know Alexander the Great was able to do just that. What he did is he built a causeway from the coastline to that rock that Tyre was built on and he was able to overtake the city. Crazy to think about. But you might ask, why would there be three chapters in Ezekiel about Tyre? Why would Zechariah care about Tyre? I mean, why would God care about it? And here's the reason why. Because Tyre was an arch enemy of Israel. Jesus was moving into enemy territory here. He was leaving the confines of a primarily Jewish population and he was going into an area that would not have been primarily Jewish. Surely there were some there, but that would not have been the culture. That would not have been the primary religion. That would not have been the primary mindset. And so this is the reason why Tyre would be destroyed. Not only were they an enemy, but Ezekiel says this in chapter 26, verse two. Son of man, because Tyre said about Jerusalem, this is what Tyre said about them. Good, the gateway to the peoples is shattered. She has been turned over to me. I will be filled now that she lies in ruins. Tyre rejoiced when Jerusalem fell and went into captivity. And when that happened, God said, you're not laughing at my city. You're not laughing at my people. You're not rejoicing in its destruction. And because you are, you will be destroyed. God made that clear. So clearly, as Jesus is moving into this region, he is moving into a place of great power, great wealth, arrogance, and even hostility to the Jews. And that's where this woman comes from. She doesn't come as a lowly woman that as we think in the 
the, the first century that would have been seen as a second-class citizen. Matter of fact, she comes from a location of power from another way. Look at verse 25. It says, or excuse me, verse 26, it says she was a, a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth. This, is, this Greek idea has, this is her class. This is her status. Women in, in Greek culture could own land. They, they weren't second-class citizens sometimes as we see them. Clearly, this woman is coming from a position and a location of power. But she moves to a location of respect. Look at what it says. It says she fell at his feet in verse 25. She heard about him. She has this daughter with an unclean spirit and she fell at his feet. This would have been shocking to come to an enemy leader's feet. I mean, I'm sure she didn't understand that Jesus was the Messiah. I'm sure she didn't understand that he was the son of God. I'm sure she just thought he was a religious leader who was capable of healing and casting out demons because he had already done it previously outside of Israel. And so the, the word had spread. And so now she's coming just thinking, this guy could help me. So she comes from a location of power and she finds herself at a location of respect and honor. Matter of fact, in verse 28, she's even gonna call him Lord. And why does she do that? Because she's in a location of need. It's amazing what need will do for us, won't it? How it'll humble us, how, how it'll make us see the world differently. That's where she's at, in a location of need. Why, what's her need? She has a little daughter with an unclean spirit. She wants Jesus to drive the demon out. That's what she's doing. She's begging him in verse 26. She says she kept asking him to drive the demon out of her daughter. Please, Jesus, drive the demon out. Please, Jesus, come home with me and drive the demon out. She keeps asking over and over and over. She is a mother who is looking over her daughter and she wants her daughter freed from this. I mean, if you're a parent, you know what this is like the ends to which you will go to help your child who is in need. The depth, the length, the, the hurdles, the boundaries, the obstacles you will encounter and overcome to help your child. That's where this woman is. She is facing great need. Location of power, but she finds herself at a location of respect at the feet of Jesus she has great need. It reminds me of Jairus. Remember him and Mark where he had this daughter that was needing to be healed and she, he's described as a religious leader, a synagogue leader. Matter of fact, it repeats it two or three times in the story. They want you to know that he's got this power, but it says he too fell at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because his 12-year-old girl was fixing to die. It's amazing how that works, isn't it? Let me see if I can give you an illustration just how drastic this change is. To me, it would, it would be like an arch enemy coming to their, their leader of, a, of the enemy and saying, you know what, we need your help. Could you imagine if Osama bin Laden, still alive today, decided he needed to seek help and the only place he could get it was from the United States, the very place that he despised and hated and wanted to see destroyed. Could you imagine him coming and bowing at the feet of our president, Joe Biden, and asking for help? 
coming from one place of power to a place of respect because he's got great need? I think that's what we have here. I think we have somebody who is swallowing a lot of pride, coming with a lot of humility to seek the help of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus' response, this is where the story gets crazy. She's at his feet and she's begging, will you cast the demon out? Look at it in verse 27. Allow the children to be satisfied first because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now Jesus is speaking in a parable here and most of the time his parables go unresponded to, but this woman's gonna respond to it and we'll come back to that here in a minute. But let's look at the parable. He says, children, bread, dogs. Now clearly I think Jesus is referring to himself as bread. That he is saying, I have come and I have come to be this bread of life is what he calls himself in John chapter six. He has come to give life. He has come to fill this void so that we'll never hunger and thirst again. And he says, I'm here for the children first. And we would interpret this as this is the nation of Israel. This is who he has come for. He is Israel's Messiah. He is Israel's savior. And he says, we are here first for Israel, that's exactly what Paul says, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. But the way he talks about the Gentile, the outsider here is he uses an incredibly derogatory term. He uses the word dog. And this is, this is offensive. Let's just, be, let's just cut to the chase. I know we wanna to try to soften the language, but it's, this is not soft language. He is looking at this woman and says, I'm here for the Jews. I'm not here for you. And then he uses this derogatory term, calling her and her people dogs. Now, I think we need to understand this term and it's used throughout scripture. I can't give all of them to you, but I want you to see just how offensive this would be. Uh, when, I, when I think about maybe one of the first places we see it is in 1 Samuel 17, when David is battling Goliath and when little old David comes out to nine foot tall Goliath in verse 43, this is what Goliath said. He says, he said to David, am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? That's what Goliath says. Are you insulting me? You think I'm just some little dog? That was one of the first places we see it. Or what about in Psalm 22, the Psalm that Jesus quotes on the cross, this messianic Psalm in verse 20, he says, deliver my life from the sword, David says, my only life from the power of these dogs. Talking about the, the constant mauling, biting and, and attacking of him. That's what David says. And Jesus quotes that Psalm. What about in the, the book of Isaiah, chapter 56, as, as Isaiah is comparing the religious leaders of Israel to dogs? Listen to this in verse 10 and 11. Israel's watchmen are blind, all of them. They know nothing. All of them are mute dogs. They cannot bark. They dream, lie down, and love to sleep. In other words, they are not doing what they should be doing. They're missing it. They're dogs who are asleep on the job. They're not good watchdogs. They are bad dogs. And then he says this, these dogs have fierce appetites. They never have enough, and they are 
Shepherds who have no discernment. All of them turn to their own way, every last one to his own gain. That these leaders of Israel are called dogs because they're only out for themselves. They're not out for the nation. You say, well, that's just Old Testament stuff. You're right. But Paul uses the word dogs in Philippians chapter three. Listen to this. He says, watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. He says, there are outsiders who wanna oppress you and steer you away from the gospel. Watch out for them, they're dogs. Or what about the very last book and chapter of the Bible? Listen to this. These are words in red. Jesus speaking Verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. And listen to this, verse 15. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves practicing lying. Dogs over and over again in scripture, used of outsiders of Israel, used of people who are abusing their power, used of people who aren't doing the right thing. And that's exactly what Jesus does here. He looks at this woman and says, man, I am here for Israel. I'm not here for people who don't care for Israel. I'm not here for people who wanna oppress Israel. I'm not here for people who are against and are enemies to Israel. I'm not here for that. I'm here first for the children and then the dogs. And listen to the woman's response. But she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She joins the parable. She says, you're right, I'm a dog. You're right, I'm an outsider. You're right, I'm not one of the children. You're right, I'm not in this group but all I'm asking for is a scrap. All I'm asking for is just a little crumb of your goodness, of of your bread of life. That's all I'm asking for. What an amazing way to respond to such an offensive word. And, And just in case you think this is the only place Jesus is offensive, it's not. Most of the time we never bat an eye when he calls the Pharisees hypocrites, vipers, snakes, whitewashed tombs, and a host of other descriptive language for them. We never bat an eye because we know they're oppressing. We know they're self-righteous. Or or what about when Jesus looks at the rich young ruler and says, sell it all and follow me. I mean, just lays it on the line. Or what about when when Jesus feeds the 5,000 in John chapter six and they all say, give us another sign. Give us manna from heaven like Moses. And then Jesus goes off talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. So offensive that the crowd left. And then in his offensive language, he looks at his disciples and says, are you gonna leave too? Are you next? I'm sure the woman at the well didn't feel great when Jesus acknowledged her multiple husbands. Offensive as he overturned the tables. You say, why would he do this? You see, Jesus wasn't really overly concerned with the fact that she came from a location of power or even that she'd fallen on his feet in this location of respect or even that she has this location of need for her daughter. 
This is what Jesus is after. He's after the location of the heart. How's she gonna respond to this? Is she just here for something only to go back and to be oppressive and, and to go back to her power? Or is she really here for the bread of life? And when Jesus does this, he's cutting to the quick. He's trying to figure out what's the location of your heart. And when she says, you're right, I'm a dog. She's saying, I'm not offended by this. It's the truth. I'm on the outside looking in. I have no right to this but I want this, I want you. And I want you to heal my daughter because only you can. She doesn't walk away offended. She doesn't walk away pouting. She says, this is my heart. God and Jesus Christ are worried about the location of your heart. And once she responds, look at what Jesus says. Verse 29, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she went back to her home, she found her child lying on the bed and the demon was gone. I mean, we could spend some time talking about how in the world did Jesus cast out a demon from afar? Amazing. I wish we knew about this, this little girl's dad. I wish we knew how the woman responded when we got home. We don't know any of that because what we find out is the location of this woman's heart was in the correct place. Now remember, I told you this wasn't the first time Jesus had cast out demons outside of Israel. In Mark chapter five, there's this amazing story where Jesus gets off the boat. He's on the, he's on the, the east side of Galilee, which would have been outside of Israel. And if you've read the story, you know that there was this man who was possessed by thousands of demons. His name was Legion. And he comes and we know the story is he's dancing around in a graveyard and he's got shackles on his arms, but he couldn't be shackled. It says the people of that little city and that little community couldn't subdue him anymore. And he's howling and screaming at night and, and he's cutting himself with rocks. And when Jesus gets off the boat, he comes down and, and he bows at Jesus' feet and, and Jesus casts the demons out. But they say, whoa, 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 don't cast us out. Send us into the pigs. And Jesus says, okay. And he cast all these demons out and they go into the pigs. And if you know the story, you know there were 2,000 pigs and those demons went into those pigs. And the text says they ran off the edge of a cliff into the sea and those pigs drowned. And when the people who were taking care of the pigs went back to the little city and said, this is what happened. All the people from that community came out and they were scared of Jesus. And you know what they said? It's time for you to leave. You wanna know why? We don't think much about pigs. But when 2,000 pigs 2,000 years ago end up dying in one day, that would have been incredibly offensive because that was their livelihood. That was their food. That, that was their source of income and it was gone. It was offensive. And they wanted him gone. You see, they would have rather have their pigs than Jesus' power. And there, they showed the location of their heart. Just like the rich young ruler, when he walked off because he wouldn't sell it all. I sit back and I find that amazing because if, 
if we were to shut down all the major employers here in town, we would find that offensive. We would find that difficult. Yet in that offense is where we find out where our heart really is. I mean, think about it. Think about the people that move toward Jesus all throughout scripture. Think about Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night. It's a Pharisee wanting to know more about this guy. His, his heart was in the right location. Think about Zacchaeus who climbed up in that tree to see who Jesus was. Think about Mary and Martha as Jesus says, ah, Mary's in the right spot. I think about the centurion when he watched Jesus die and breathe his last and he said, hey, this surely was a son of God. I wonder if Jesus was testing the heart of Peter after he denied him on that seashore and Jesus looked at him and said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter finally said, you know I love you. Quit asking. Jesus wanted to know what's the location of his heart. If we're honest, the reality is, is that the gospel and Jesus Christ, it's offensive. It asks us to change. It, it tells us that we're wretched sinners. It tells us we can't do anything good enough to get to heaven. You can't earn it. It tells us that that our treasure and our time and our talents should be given over to Jesus. It tells us where our loyalties lie. It tells us how we act. It tells us the things that we should stop doing. It tells us the things we should do. It's offensive. But in that offense, it, it tells us where the location of our heart is. So this woman, leaving a location of power, because she has a, a need and she finds herself at the feet of Jesus, but more importantly, her heart is humble to just want a little bit of the bread of life. My question for you today is real simple. What's the location of your heart? Not, 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 not what's the location of where you're watching this. Not what's the location of where you go to church. Not, not what's the location of, of where you serve or small group. Not, that's, I just, what's the location of our heart? Because man, at the end of the day, that's what, that's what Jesus is really wanting to know. And it takes great humility to take our heart and move it to the right location, which is in submission and obedience to Jesus Christ. Probably the greatest passage about the location of the heart is in Matthew when he records Jesus' words, when he says this, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. That's where your heart will be also. What do you treasure? What do you love? Because if you really treasure and love Jesus, that's the location of your heart. And for this woman, she was willing to be offended, called a dog and an enemy, it didn't matter. She knew she needed Jesus Christ. Do you? Let me pray for us. Oh, Father, tricky story, great story about this woman. And man, I'd love to know what it was like when she got home and saw her daughter miraculously healed and delivered from this demon. But we don't get that. But what we do get is we know that her heart was in the right spot. 
And as you tested it with these difficult words, she responded in a, in a gracious and a humble way to say, I don't have a right. I just like some scraps. Lord, I pray that that's us. I pray that we would make sure the location of our heart is near you, is wanting you, knowing that we got no rights. We can't earn this. I've done nothing to get it. But by your grace, you just give us a little bit of yourself. Lord, I pray that be the desire of our hearts and I pray it'd be the location of our hearts. Yeah, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.